You're listening to Art Root Radio, and I'm your host, artist Michelle Lockery. Today on Take It to the Wall, I'd like to discuss an absolute incredible experience that has um, defined so much of my career. At one time during my life, I lived in a house called the Catani House. It was an artist's residence with a deep and dark and very inspiring story. The Catani House is a house where the very well-renowned and very talented, incredible, captive artist of the Okanagan, Sveva Catani, lived. Now, Sveva has a very, very interesting story, and you can learn more if you go to the Catani House site. And that site will show you the story and tell you the history and show you the images of an incredible artist who was locked in a house. She was a princess from Italy. She came from the finest of the fine, of the masters, of the popes. And she came to Vernon as a child and was locked in her house as a prisoner. She wasn't allowed to paint. She wasn't allowed to do anything but read. She was basically a captive. And I got to live in that house with my daughter. The house experience was one of profound change. When we first moved into the house, my daughter and I, we went to move in and there was a room to the side of this giant mansion. I want you to all as listeners to imagine this house that it's a mansion and it was untouched. Some artists had lived in other areas of the house, but the the group that organized the house had not yet opened that front part. My daughter and I would look at this locked door as we went up to our little suite on the top floor. We'd open these big sliding doors and there was a library. And inside the library were hundreds of books, all with handwritten notes by Sveva, talking about which image she used, which anatomy book, which story. We found letters that she would read a page out of a book and create a painting. Now, as an inspiring artist and a single mother, And many things. This house was a mystery. It was a warm hug. And I made friendships with the people that lived in that house that have lasted my entire life. Sveva, her mother Ophelia, and her family permeated the air in that house. The mystery of perhaps Ophelia wasn't her mother. All of those stories tangled around us like the light and the veins and the, bar- and the brush strokes that Sveva well, left behind. The stories of her counting screws in the walls, finding letters that she wrote and counted how many screws, the ceilings that she hand did, that she hand cut and let relief on the top of the ceilings. I would lay in my bedroom and I would look and I would think of the artist that was locked in the house and who made it her life's work to create. I was in the shadow of giants. My daughter grew strong in that house. Her friends would play music and play guitars and eat pizza on the very satin couch that now sits in the Catani house as a testament of the great art and furniture period of that time. I would look at the sketches. I would see the little paper clips and all the things that were on Sveva's desk. And then one brave day, my daughter said, Mom, 
Let's open the door. Well, the door was locked. So we slid down the front porch window and my daughter slid into the house and unlocked the door. Inside that door was Fava's office, a room which is now filled with her father's photos and works and clothes. But at that moment, I want the listeners to imagine walking into this vintage room in this mansion and for all you could see were boxes and trunks and statues and tables, inlaid tables, amazing artworks from the 60s, sculptures that looked like they came from Rome, all piled up, tapestries, giant cases full of drawings and sketches and letters. It was like we just didn't know what to say. One of the things that are is a thread in all of Sveva's work is a little man. It's a drawing, like the, the drawing man that all artists use. That was in the bottom of the trunk. Letters to her mother. Madonnas that her mother must have prayed to. Letters and sketches and sketches and furniture. Things that I only could imagine I would have seen in one of the most fancy royal houses in Italy. We brought bookshelves, hand-painted bookshelves and red Chinese lacquered shelves. And we were like, we will just, what will we do? We phoned the museum and no one had any room for them. The easel and her wheelchair in the corner. I sat and looked at the wheelchair and I thought, at the end, there was Fava's drawing table, her wheelchair, and it was like a ghost. We moved the furniture around the house and we lovingly dusted everything. The museum took anything that was paper and artwork and they took it and they put it in the museum for safekeeping. And we just all decided we will all, you know, come together and look after the legacy that this great artist. And at that point, I would say friend, that Sveva at that point became a friend that we couldn't see. I painted on the easel. I painted on Sveva's easel. There was an empty canvas, one that she must have made before she died. And I took yellow and red and white, and I painted a portrait in the office on Sveva's easel. It was fascinating as I went to the opening to see the return of Sveva's paintings to the house. And my brushstrokes are on her easel in that display. I was quite humbled by that. The house has brought the mother's clothing, the father's clothing, the amazing vintage story of this great wealth. I watched and thought of Coco Chanel as I looked at the hand-sewn clothes and the Chanel bottles, and I wondered what the smell of the perfume was. And then I remember living at the house, and on certain nights, our friends, Mandy and Rob, who also lived in the house, we would go outside and you could hear music, Italian music playing, and you could hear a woman wailing, and you would look up into the, onto the top of the roof, but you couldn't see anything, but you could hear this music. One day, Mandy was walking outside, and she came running in and she says, Oh my God, oh my God, there was a shadow, this big dust shadow 
in the yard, and then it just disappeared. I would lay in the bathtub at night, and I would watch the door to the side bedroom open and close, open and close. You would watch your tea kettle, you would plug it in, and then you would unplug it and make tea. And in the middle of the night, you'd go there, and the kettle was on again, and it was plugged back in. We all saw the ghosts. The very famous story is of the ghost of the child sitting at the bottom of the stairs. A little girl just sitting on the stairs. I always thought maybe that was Sveva. I painted a, a portrait of Sveva in that studio, on that easel, in that house, in that time and space wondering what her paintings were, could never see them because they had been taken from the collection or from the house and given to the Edmonton Museum. Last night, I got to walk into the house and see the past and then walk into the new gallery and see that work. The line between the light and the dark and the pain that Sveva must have endured as she was locked in that house, unable to paint, made captive by a love story gone wrong or gone right, shone through those paintings like the eyes of a child when they smile. When you look at somebody and they smile and their eyes light up, we're all astonished by how the eyes can change and like a camera lens, the flash from the human eye. Sveva's work captures the line between the light and the dark. Her subtle use of an orange or a red around the very shapes or stories, draws you in to a portal of time, of infinity that goes back in time, that sucks you in and takes you somewhere and then gently places you back in this world. Is it the work of the 60s? Is it the work of the ages before her? Is it the works of a secret story of who her father actually is? I don't know. All I know is the work of this woman on this paper in a house that I lived is something it's hard to experience and share. You could only hope that others could experience that in their lifetime to know and be in the shadow of the giants. Sveva was a giant in her talent, in her personality. I never got to meet her. Many people have told me the stories but I believe living in that house, I have, met, I have met Sveva. And I think through the eyes of many female artists, we are all connected. I watched my friend Julie Oakes, an incredible Okanagan, world-renowned artist, see the artwork for the first time and watched her tear up. Passion, passion in work, to be absolutely enthralled, lifted up, twisted, crimpled, crumpled, put back down and see and feel what Sveva wanted to say in her artworks is the power of art. It's the power to heal. It's the power to connect through generations, through time and space. And it is a connected line that artists have to something so much larger than us. It was an awe being in that house. And I was in awe in being the presence of Sveva in the return. 
When you think about the Okanagan, you don't think about Italy, although it does look like Italy in my mind. And you don't think about a famous story of one of the most royal families of Europe in a small mansion on Pleasant Valley Road. But there is. There is a connection that is so global and so absolutely iconic living in the middle of the Okanagan. They say that people sometimes are not famous as an artist until they're dead. And it takes many, many people to honor that story and to bring that story forward. Sveva has had so many people honor her story. As we were first moving in, the back studios were full. There was an artist, Joan Harriet, Sveva's good friend. There was dusty shelves with little bottles with bugs and butterfly wings, binoculars, etchings, sketchings. And the sun would shine through the window and there was dust on everything. It was like I had walked into a living museum. Joan would come after and we would uh, have tea and pick the plums and we would share birthday cake and tell stories. A good artist friend of mine lived in that house. She has now since passed. And she would paint the most incredible skies. Andrea Toth was her name. We would all climb out onto the patio and we would eat ice cream and we would laugh as we ate a lot of ice cream and we would call ourselves the Fatanis. And we got to live in a house where Sveva brought other artists together when she was alive. And we would laugh and we would talk about world, world things that seemed far away and near, never thinking of COVID. We made friendships and we talked about the world through the eyes of Sveva. This incredible woman from an ancient, ancient lineage that shared Europe with us. I see my daughter and I see this gracefulness that I believe came from that time in that house. I'll be excited to go back to the house with my daughter and to go see in the beautiful place that we lived to remember how we cleaned up the front porch where Sveva would, would sleep at night when it got hot to walk the gardens, to lovingly touch everything that had been hers and her family, to be touched by the gracefulness of that, the connections of so many people that Sveva has brought together. Even in her death, her life lives on in a house, in her works, and in the friends that she continues to make. It's the art and the history connecting all communities. The water flows through indigenous. Welcome, Judy. Welcome to Take It to the Wall. Thank you. So tell me about what happened last night. We were at the Katani House, which is what? The Katani House is uh, a wonderful legacy that the city of Vernon has as part of their history. A remarkable woman named Sveva Katani whom I'm sure many know the story of, and if not, you just simply have to Google it. But she left her home to be a cultural center, a arts center in the city of Vernon. And there has been a small group of very, very passionate people who have undertaken the task of keeping a legacy alive and opening the home to the public so that we can all witness the wonderful art and life and 
magic and mystery of Svevakateni and all that she represented. And, uh, you know, she moved here. She was very young in 1920s and she passed uh, 1990s and she was truly one of a kind and she suffered greatly in her life. But her story is one of victory in the end. And uh, it's with sweetness that we saw last night, the victory of this effort, the effort of this group bringing her art back to Vernon. She had sold her her body of work, Recapitulation, which was 56 pieces to the University of Alberta. And they graciously recognized the proper home for the work was here in Vernon. So it's been years and years and years of effort. Many, many people um, fundraising and maintaining the house and creating the Catani board and like really remarkable. Susan, Susan Brandoli and her team at the Catani Cultural Center have really done a remarkable job in conjunction with the Vernon Museum and the Kelowna Museum who returned pieces from Sveva's house and history to the house and last night we got to go in the house and see it and see the displays and the dresses and the you had a real sense of the italian aristocracy from which she came and and it was it was it was so exquisite there was works from chanel there was a, a custom chess from louis vuitton there was uh, just a remarkable display there was a great little historical video on the uh, magnanimous catani family and all that they represented in their heyday in, in italy and um and then into the the present you know there was a real historical passing of past future and the marriage in between and the suffering and it was just so great it was so it really great. was it I, and i thought about it judy so we talked and uh, we sat on your lovely patio all artists in our right sitting there and the power and i kept thinking in the return the return after covid and we all you know we've made huge friendships have we all been part of that house but i think for me, the connections of the women in that house and the artistic woman, in the return, I saw light. I saw joy in those paintings. Tell me how you felt as you were standing there, and there we were, and there was that crack of light from that studio. Yeah, well said, Michelle. Uh, I was completely overwhelmed, to be honest. I actually kept myself tightly because I think I would have just cried, <laughs> um, sobbed. It was just so powerful to see the paintings in front of us, the real original paintings. You could feel the journey that she went through. And I think it's really well done what they've done because there's 56 pieces. They weren't able to show them all. It takes, you know, obviously a lot of wall space. So they're rotating it. And there was, what, 20-some-odd that we saw? Yeah. Right? And and so it was the beginning of the journey. And like you say, it's the beginning of the return from COVID. We're returning back to a little bit more culture. We've thought about things. We're going to do things differently. We're on another journey. And that's exactly how I felt last night. I was like, wow, this is the... The beginning of so much and you could really get a sense of that in the painting and i was overwhelmed with emotion as many were in the room and uh, i plan to go back and, and really sit with it and allow myself to to feel the the power of that art that's me too i was like i want to get up and i wanted to go right back and i could i remember seeing many films about 
artists that use one stroke of red or that little bit of orange. She masters it. I read a letter that she said that she would go in the library, open a book, read a page, and paint from that page. Wow. Like her method. Remember that one painting I showed you that was uh, kind of like a big, it made me think of, um, what's that show with the cars that turn into robots? Yeah, yeah, Transformers. Yeah, Transformers. It made me think of a Transformer. And you could see the fire from within. You know, I could feel the heat looking at this painting. It was so 3D. The painstaking effort that she did with this dry watercoloring method she did. It was really something to behold. You know, you see the photos online, but to see it in person is really something else. Well, I find it interesting because I always think our eyes are something that I don't think we've really, even scientists haven't really delved into. Because I think, you know, we think about our brain, we think about our heart, but nobody really thinks of our eyes as a video camera in time, right? And I was going, we're looking at the stories in her memories, in her dreams, in her grandfather, grandmothers, whatever her history is, her lineage back to Roman times through the connections of our eyes. And I'm like, wow, right? Did we experience, and I believe this last night, and, you know, and my husband was with us, and he's a great guy, and he loves the arts. I have never seen him react in that way where he was just, I get it. He get, yeah. And I do believe that maybe there's a language that we're switching into or something. I don't know what I'm really trying to say, but I just felt this connection in the room through her eyes. I, I agree. And the beautiful part for me about art in general, and certainly with these pieces, is, you know, you cannot judge art because you only have your experience. It is so subjective. I don't know what it is you're seeing. You don't know what it is I'm seeing. I don't know what it is you're feeling, you know. And But we yet have the commonality of looking at the same thing and feeling that energy that is transmuted through our eyes. It's really wondrous. I mean, that's the magic of art, quite frankly. I think it really is. And I was doing some research that the eyes, the ears, and they're all connected like a gyroscope, that if we would think of our head as a gyroscope and not organs, we would realize that that is our compass. So when you hear, taste, smell. So isn't it interesting that I text you and I go, what does that Chanel bottle smell like? Yeah, I so thought the same thing. And those shoes, I wanted to feel them on my feet. Right? You know, I wanted to wear those gloves. And, you know, if you've ever been to Europe, you know, I, I, you stand in a hundreds and hundreds of year old church and you put your hand on the banister and you're like, you can feel that energy of the history of thousands of hands that touched that banister. And that's what I wanted to do with that. I wanted to try on the dresses, you know? I wanted to really submerse myself in the whole experience. Me too, and I'm so grateful that I lived with all that furniture, and I thought it was really amusing when I sat on the chair. Yeah. That we lived with it, right? We had parties. I know you've been at my house, and we lived with that. And now Julie Oaks and I were like, are we allowed to touch that? You know, as we wanted to... Here's a really funny story. At the front of the easel, there's a yellow paint stroke on the front of the easel. Yes. That's my paint stroke. I I painted the picture that's in my studio of my yellow face when I lived in the house on her easel. And I took a picture and I'm going, I couldn't even breathe. I'm going, and Rick goes, those are your brush strokes. I said, yeah. I said, how'd you know? He goes, I just knew. 
And it's like, I'm just like, I was just blown away. And I think that the power of the house is, we need to tell the stories of the house. I think the house has stories in the history. I believe the mastery, we need an example to follow. Yeah. How you sew those outfits, those baby clothes, those pearl buttons that have lasted. Yeah. Right? We can't buy a shirt in one wash, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And I think the stories of the house, of the people of the house are really important. I think of Andrea Toth, who's no longer with us, who created masterpieces. I think of Liz Allardyce, all of the people that have lived in the house, all my crew members, that front porch. I think that there is um, a greater following. Well, you are part of the tapestry, you know. She, when she passed, she wanted, she started this tapestry of the Katani cultural center in every sense of the words. And you became part of that tapestry with your brushstrokes, with your living in there, with your putting your energy into all that you have done for the Katani cultural center, Michelle. And, and the, and the tapestry is continuing, you know, it's continuing being built. It's by being witnessed, by being supported and by inspiring other artists. It's so important. I thought about that when I painted the mural, right? And my son and my daughter helped me on the mural, as they always do. And I think about that Katani mural and to paint and how they speak to you when you paint, right? When you paint those giant portraits, they speak to you. And I'm just thinking, it is such a grand story. And I think, as we talked about networking and the importance of the arts, and right now the importance of the art, but I think what we're going for there must be a mastery in the arts because if we don't achieve, try to achieve something that's almost perfect, really, what's it worth, right? Well, I guess, true. But I guess, again, the idea of perfect is all in the eye of the creator, you know? Um, I, I, I've never been fond of the word perfect. Everything is perfect. Everything and is, perfect. is perfect. You know? But if you don't work for it, so I've watched you perform and I've watched you and you and I have had a moment where you have captured that song. Now, maybe perfect isn't the right word, but mastery is. Yes, I, I that I agree. Mastery. Well said. That is definitely what we all aspire to as artists, as, you know, painters, sculptors, writers, singers, dancers. Um, and let's go beyond the arts. Cookers, you know, it's yeah. chefs. All of it, people who create every day. I don't care what it is. You're you breathe. You're a creator, and and you're aspiring to something. And to like you say, look for the mastery. Reach for the mastery. It is something that we're all on this planet to do. Some people deny it with themselves, but Lord knows, Faber sure didn't. Well, it's interesting because there's mastery of horsemanship. I watch my husband. Yeah. I watch my husband, and he's you know he's um, he's an outdoors man. And he can be rough, he can be gentle, but I put him beside a horse and I'll watch him. And he, with his hands, his hands look like somebody on a violin as he touches that horse and gets that horse and the horse calms and he calms and it is like listening to music. Yeah, yes, well said, yes, yes. And, and, and this is the gift that Sveva has given us just by, you know, leaving this legacy and expressing all of her pain of being housebound for 25 plus years without being able to paint or do anything that she was born to do. Can you imagine? It's like, you know what I think it was like? It would be like um, just standing in a pool where the water is just below your nose 
And every once in a while you wanted to sit down, but you'd have to hold your breath because you'd have to go underwater and just perpetually never really feeling free where you can breathe through your mouth because you're perpetually underwater for 25 years. Well, Judy, that is a painting because <laughs> I can see that. And you know, we last night were in a moment in a moment of time that will create that connects us, you, me as family and we used to always joke at the house because we used to eat too much ice cream and call ourselves the Fatani. But I believe that we are the Katani family, Canadian style. So, hey, I would like to invite you back. Let's do this again because I'd like to do a series of house stories. And you have the voice and I think we need to hear some music. And I think we should welcome our listeners to come back and hear the house stories. And I think we have many friends to invite. What do you think? I think it's brilliant, Michelle, and kudos to you for always pushing us in our expressions and the possibilities and being so damn creative. I love you. I love you too, Judy. Thank you so much. And we will talk very soon. Okay. It's the art and the history connecting all communities. The water flows through indigenous blue. The tides rise and fall, connecting us all. Water is life, hear our call. The water flows through indigenous blue.